Welcome to the Echo Cast, a podcast about video game news, speculation, reviews, and whatever else I feel like covering. I am your host, Bon, and this week we'll be talking about some residual gaming topics after the last crazy week, a bunch of weird streaming news, a backlog of questions from your fellow listeners, and much more. A few things before we get started. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. Please subscribe to the channel, hit the like button, and comment with your thoughts, questions for next week, or just to say hello. A special thank you to all of my Patreons, including producer-level patrons Hassan and Horseman, supporter-level patrons PK, The Don, Cage Nephilim, and Neuronix, as well as viewer-level patron Zenra. If you're interested in supporting this podcast and getting ad-free episodes for as little as $1 per month, check out patreon.com slash Diesel. Gaming news this week, we have eight topics. Now, let me get ahead of it here. These, uh, it's a stretch this week. I just did a podcast on Tuesday or Monday. No, it was Tuesday. That covered all of the big conferences. And then this week, all of the gaming companies have probably basically shut down because they were all busy doing reveals and doing all the stuff. So we're going to cover what we can this week. And first, we are going to start off with Armored Core 6 previews. I don't think I talked about this last time, uh, and there isn't a ton to say. But this week, uh, a bunch of the uh, people who were at Summer Game Fest and stuff like that uh, got to see a demo of Armored Core 6 and finally were able to talk about it. I believe likely on purpose, they had a date that was, uh, you know, a few days after all of the events so they could extend the news cycle a bit. And overall, the reviews are really good and the footage that um, has been shown is great. Um, it very much reminds me of old school Armored Core, at least in the visual. Um, the graphics aren't um, like going to be mind breaking, but they look like they're really good, um, especially with the extremely large environments you're dealing with and the really fast action and, and all of that stuff. Um, I was very impressed um, by what was shown and what was talked about was very positive. It sounds like um, people are excited about this. It seems like if you are an Armored Core fan or a fan of the other kind of Souls games, this will be something that will probably be up your alley. Um, it, it seems like if you're completely new to the series, it may not be as much. Um, it is really interesting that like after Elden Ring and stuff like that, there was a lot of chatter of like, ooh, I wonder if they're going to uh, basically put in a bunch of those mechanics and stuff into Armored Core because they've been so successful with these other games. And uh, their initial reaction and in interviews and stuff was like, no, this is an Armored Core game. It's going to be a different kind of experience. That that is that is not what we're going to do. And then what people noticed is that there are like the little flask and stuff like that, the little health potions or, or the equivalent of, um, you know, in, in the in the UI, which you can't see in the trailers that were shown publicly. But um, 
Vadi Vidya, um, who's a big Elden Ring and other lore person uh, who has these amazing videos, did like a little mock-up on their video of what the UI looked like because we can't see it. And it included like a little D-pad basically of what you hit to get your heals and probably to do other um, enchantments, which I'm sure they'll call something different uh, in that world in that game. But um, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, the big thing is that it is not open world and they've even said it's not like connected world. So this isn't going to be, a, this is going to be like probably like a mission based game where there's probably going to be like 30 or 40 missions and you go out and you just do them. Now, maybe not, maybe more, maybe less. I don't know. Um, but it's not going to be even like a, like a semi open world, like Jedi survivor or like a full open world, like Elden ring. It sounds like it's going to be something different. And it's funny, maybe almost more than anything that may pull some people in because, you know, you really are starting to see like, like it seems like a lot of people, including myself enjoyed that. Like Jedi survivor didn't have this giant open world. And instead it had like a couple big ones like decently large and then a, a few like smaller areas uh, and you could go back to them and you could explore them and there were things to find and stuff like that but it wasn't like an overwhelming um, feeling uh, at any time no matter when you you know what planet you landed on and stuff like that like it, it all felt fairly uh, approachable I guess and so I think um, it, it's really interesting. I think that we are going to, um, you know, see a game here that it, it, it'll just be interesting how many people are going to buy it purely because of the developer. Um, how many people are like old school armored core fans? And then, you know, who's just going to be interested by what they show. So I'm on, I'm on, you know, I'm like a maybe on this. I'm not completely sold on it. Um, I, I'm not really uh, completely into the idea of the game, but you know, a really good score or something could sell me. It's just these games are kind of meant to be frustrating to a point or meant to have like a high skill level. And that's just not what I typically go for. So uh, we will see, but I am curious. Uh, there was an interesting uh, article this week uh, written by Jason Schreier uh, talking about the new cyberpunk DLC. This is story number two. And uh, as, a, as a side note to that, which, you know, I, I don't really want to talk about. It. It's just kind of talking about the Phantom Liberty DLC. But the, the, the tidbit I found interesting was that the director of the Phantom Liberty is different than the main game. And they have, they said themselves that they are going to be the director of the next cyberpunk game, the sequel to 2077. And why that's interesting to me is a few reasons. I think we already knew they were like working on a sequel from some, uh, some, some presentations that CDPR has done, uh, CD project red. And, um, I, I believe we knew a sequel was generally in the works, but why, um, I think this is interesting because there was a lot of really good press this week from people who had seen and played and gotten to talk to the devs about Phantom Liberty and this DLC. You have to remember, this is the only DLC Cyberpunk's going to get. It's next gen only. Um, on PC, it's requiring an NVMe M.2 SSD. You know, this is going, um, it, 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 it's taking a lot of steps 
uh, and beyond that, a lot of the people who got to play it and, and get info about it have said like, hey, yeah, like this expansion seems interesting, but it's the fact that they've used this opportunity to revamp a bunch of the core game systems, uh, like the skill trees and stuff like that. Even things like AI and how the police work. And it sounds like they've maybe done like a hard pass on a bunch of the game. And I'm wondering if this Phantom Liberty is going to come out. And yeah, the DLC is going to be interesting. Uh, and supposedly there's a new ending you can unlock through the DLC, which is also interesting. But it sounds like you're going to have an opportunity to, uh, you know, maybe replay the game and that maybe in a lot of ways it's going to feel like the game we all initially uh, expected or that was advertised to us. So, um, I, yeah, but I think it's interesting. I think it's cool that they already have that basically set in stone. Uh, who's going to be directing the next game? I assume that they're full in on the next Witcher game, which is expected, I, I assume, in probably two or three years. Uh, it's being made on Unreal Engine 5, and that's about all we know about it. That's a pretty big deal as well. That means that they're getting rid of their own, I think it's called the Red Engine, uh, which like Cyberpunk and Witcher and all that. Uh, Cyberpunk especially was like, you know, heralded for its graphics and things like that in this engine, and they're going to throw it away. And I presume the next Cyberpunk will be on Unreal Engine 5 as well. And um, it's just interesting. I don't want to say it's like a waste, but uh, it seems like Unreal Engine 5 is extremely good and we're you know, going to start seeing those games coming out this year um, and, and kind of seeing what that engine can do. But uh, yeah, so Cyberpunk sequel seems like the director is probably a good start. And I think that game has probably recovered its reputation enough. Uh, I think the next Witcher game will come out and probably be very good. That will only further make people forget about the craziness of 2077 and then by the time the sequel comes out to, to cyberpunk i suspect most people will be willing to to have an open mind again and you'll even have what uh, you would presume to be an entire new generation of gamers who didn't even know about the first cyberpunk or, or the issues there so you know with these games taking 10 years between releases uh, you can you can get away with a lot because you're basically pulling in a whole new decade of, uh, you know, uh, players. So interesting story, a very quick one. I fully intended this week to do my review on Diablo 4. I am on the second to last boss before what I presume is Lilith at the end of the game, and I'm stuck. I can't beat the second to last boss. And after my stream today, I found out that I only have about half of the healing flask I can get. I didn't know you could, uh, it's by doing world events. So maybe by next week, if I can grind the open world enough to get the rest of my flask, I'll be able to, uh, to beat those last couple bosses and, uh, give my final thoughts on the game overall. I'm really impressed by it. I think it's a really great game. Um, I appreciate that there's people replaying the story, uh, you know, starting new characters, grinding, you know, all the way to level 100 or whatever. Um, that's probably not going to be me. I, I, I see myself beating the story, dabbling in the end game, maybe starting up a few other uh, characters with other, other classes. Um, and then when they have DLC, probably coming back to play that DLC 
uh, I'm probably not going to be a no lifer on this game. Um, now, for the time being, I may play it a decent amount. Um, I, I have actually been missing out on some uh, Battlefield 2042 uh, Season 5 or whatever. Uh, so I do want to get to that. But I really, really like Diablo. I can't wait to give it like a final, you know, what I thought. Um, but I'm not there yet. So hold up. Uh, this story is a stupid one, but the fable face controversy. And so this is if you are unfortunately on social media, you'll know what's going on with this, that there has been a, a bunch of people on the Internet mad that the character that was shown during the fable uh, preview uh, wasn't hot enough, didn't make people's, uh, you know, downstairs uh, excited enough. Um, and this is dumb for a few reasons. One, it's I, I believe the character is modeled after one of the uh, one of the employees at the studio. So it's kind of like a dick move to like down the way that the person looks because you are like commenting on an individual who was probably really excited for this opportunity um, Two, you know, video game characters and especially the women in games aren't there to just to make your peepees hard. Uh, so, you know, maybe get over that whole idea. Um, three, it's okay for people to not all be pretty. Uh, you know, I'm not going anywhere with this mug. So, you know, and then last, uh, the fable, at least in its history, you've always created your own character. This character is kind of goofy looking and it was a goofy trailer. It was probably meant for at least some comedic effect. Uh, and it, you aren't going to play as this person. Like there's the tiniest part of me that wants playground to be like, Oh, okay. Y'all going to be jerks. So we're going to make this the only character you can play as. It would be kind of funny if they made them the default just as a, you know, kind of a poke back. Uh, but yeah, you're almost certainly going to be able to design your own player character from scratch. This was literally a placeholder. It was probably meant for some comedic effect and People just need to chill. It, it, it's, it's, um, you know, I too enjoyed the days of the 2000s and 2010s when every single female video game character was a sex pot and was there to be ogled at. Cool. But that's not where we're at anymore. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And it's weird to get upset about it. There's plenty of pretty women you can look at on the internet doing all kinds of crap. Uh, if you really want to get weird, go to rule 34. Uh, you know, you can see anything you want there. I've heard, <laughs> but, um, it's just so silly. Just so dumb. The whole thing. Uh, it just, you know, one step forward, two steps back. It feels like sometimes, but it's why I said this week, I put it on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, you need to never look at the for you tab. Look at your following tab, maybe any groups you have or the list. Do not look it for you. Um, it was weird on this is kind of a side rant. Twitter, have, there was a moment after the idiot bought it and they implemented this for you tab. And what was really interesting about it is it was mostly friends of friends that, that seemed like they had some algorithm that like gauged that maybe they were interested in similar topics as you. So it would, it would, so it would show you tweets by people who were who you had some kind of mutual with in some capacity. 
and I found a bunch of really cool people that way and a bunch of really cool tweets that I commented on or retweeted or whatever. And then what happened is it turned into a controversy tab where it literally, I'm fairly certain, shows tweets that are expected to make you angry or upset to get you to engage in them. Uh, and, and, and all of mine right now are just a bunch of crap I don't want to see from people I don't want to hear from. And it's a real bummer. So stay away from the For You tab. And that's where I saw the stupid Fable Face controversy stuff. So there you go. Okay, Xbox is no longer developing games for Xbox One. So during one of the interviews this week, I believe it was Matt Booty, um, who's one of the people in charge of the studios at Xbox, uh, said that they are no longer developing games for the Xbox One generation. So it's Xbox One, Xbox One S, and this uh, Xbox One X, which is a system I had. And to this day, it's probably still my favorite system. I love the Series X. It's great. But there was something about the uplift from the one the Xbox one to the one X. It was, it wasn't really that big of a deal. It wasn't that much of a power lift, but the developers and then quite a few of them with a, quite a few games were able to get like a bunch of games up to 60 FPS, even like 4k graphics in some capacity. And it was like really cool. So it's a bummer to see that finally phasing out. Um, it's also probably going to be a bummer to a lot of players uh, once we realize that we've been playing Xbox One and PS4 games for the last three years. And that's why the Series X and the PS5 have been able to have these like 4K 60 FPS modes. And that as they phase out those old systems and they're designing games only for the current systems, they're probably not going to run that well. We had a big discussion about it during a recent stream where like Starfield may not be the rule for a while, but because Starfield's situation where it's 30 FPS is more that it's, it's computing power is probably gonna get tested on the Series X uh, as, as powerful as that CPU is. Uh, the Bethesda games, just because of all the things they track, uh, the, the, the state and all the mechanics and all of the systems running at the same time in the background. The graphics are good in that game, but I don't think they're going to be the limiting factor. It seems like everything else is. And Bethesda games are fairly unique. The next Last of Us game is not going to be that complicated. So if the next Last of Us game has a performance mode and a quality mode, that's not that wouldn't surprise me. Same with most of the games that aren't going to be these like not just big open world games, but like impossibly large open world games like Bethesda. They're, they're going to, they're fairly unique in that way, especially the persistence of them. So I think that we're going to continue to get performance and quality modes for a while, but I really think that this announcement that they're no longer, no longer making games for the Xbox one is probably the beginning of, of a likely eventual, um, you know, switch over to, you know, maybe having more games showing up at 30 FPS uh, and maybe them having to get kind of creative. And, you know, we hope that tech like FSR, which is an AMD um, tech that can, that can basically add frames. So you can take a 30 FPS uh, gameplay and it will, it will um, generate frames between each frame, effectively doubling the frames. And it can give the appearance of 60 FPS 
on a 30 FPS output. And so we may see them start to use that tech more. Uh, it's not perfect. If you play Jedi Survivor, you'll see the results of that, even on even on the quality mode, but in the performance mode, it leads to some weird artifacts and hazy graphics. And eh, it's just not perfect. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see what that's going to mean uh, for, for these games moving forward. But, uh, but that's OK. So here we get into the stream, the streamer corner, the streamer uh, part of the of, of the show. So uh, first, YouTube has changed their partner requirements. So what they're doing is they're basically adding two levels of partnership. And the only difference is ad revenue on videos and shorts. Um, and so the current, the, the upper tier of partnership on YouTube is you have to have 4000 hours viewed in the last year, 365 days. That's a rolling queue. Uh, you have to have at least a thousand subscribers, uh, so many videos uploaded recently, no strikes, things like that. This new tier is you have to have 500 subscribers, 3000 hours in the last two and 365 days. And then I think, uh, you know, a couple other qualifiers. Uh, so for what that means, uh, but the big difference, I guess I'll get to this first is that um, the lower tier doesn't get ad revenue, but they get things like super chats and live chats. They get emotes. Like it's basically seems like it's meant to try to get some streamers to come over. Um, it's kind of weird. Um, YouTube is interesting with streaming. So about two years ago, they poached a bunch of really big streamers, Dr. Lupo and a bunch of others. I uh, got poached from Twitch uh, and brought over to YouTube and for like six months, they were adding features left and right. They were adding like memberships, which they didn't have before. It's the equivalent to a Twitch subscription. They were they added like gifting memberships. They added, uh, you know, all of these features uh, that they they were slowly trying to catch up to Twitch, which is, you know, in my opinion, the the far superior uh, platform when it comes to quality of life uh, features and uh, various settings and 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 they're just they're always adding stuff and it's pretty good. We'll get to Twitch in a little bit, but YouTube was like, they kind of looked like they were trying. And then as far as I know, for the last year and a half, they haven't improved anything. Um, the, the chat is still abysmal to, 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 to type into, to read, to interact with. It just sucks. It's not good. Um, it's interesting. One of the big selling points of YouTube for streamers was that you could stream up to 4k. Um, a big issue with Twitch is that you're limited to 1080p and that's only if you're a partner, if you're an affiliate below, you might get 1080p, but it depends on traffic. Uh, so you may or may not anyways with, with YouTube, uh, the, the, the bit rate, you know, the amount of data you can send to YouTube is much higher than Twitch. So you can stream at 1440p, even at 4k. The funny thing is though, is if you ever watch those streams, well, the, in my experience, the 4K streams have just never worked. And I have gigabit internet. I have a good computer. It's not my side. It just doesn't work very well. When Dr. Lupo switched over to YouTube, he was real annoying about being like, oh, this one has 4K, even though it just never worked. And when it did, it didn't look that great. The 1440p was okay. But you know, for the most part, I, I ended up just watching any YouTube streams on 1080p because it, it didn't seem to stress their system as much. So... It seems like YouTube, this is, I think, the first big move they've made in probably a year and a half. And um, I still suspect it just isn't really pulling 
that many people from Twitch. Um, a big issue, in my opinion, as affiliate streamer with YouTube uh, or that size of a streamer is that with YouTube, you basically need like a really big YouTube subscriber base uh, to, to get started on YouTube. Uh, a big issue with YouTube, in my opinion, and um, I've seen people dispute this. I don't think it's true, is that discoverability is awful on YouTube with live streams and arguably with YouTube in general. And if you already have 50,000, 100,000, 200,000 subscribers, then when you stream, they all get a notification and they all see that you're on and you can probably pull some pretty good numbers from that. If you have less than 2000 subscribers like myself, uh, you know, it, it doesn't go out to that many people and it's not and, and people aren't discovering YouTube streams by hitting the live stream thing like it just isn't happening. They, they are kind of putting those videos on the home page, but they're not. I don't think they're pushing it very hard. And so I've seen a few people recently be like, well, discovery on YouTube is actually really good. It's better than Twitch. And it's they have a quarter million subscribers. So it's like you think it's good because you started with a huge base. But if you're someone starting from, you know, like a lower rung, uh, it's probably not better or good. And that's at least my opinion. So um, I, I think this is a good move for me as a as a from a VOD point of view from posting videos. I'm excited about it just because I finally kind of get that check mark. I guess I'm, I am excited about that. And I'm actually well on my way to getting that second tier. Um, and that's what I've been working for all year is to try to get to that 4,000 viewing hours. And I'm at like 3,100 or something like that. So I'm on my way. I am going to qualify for this new program, which will be cool. And I may even try out streaming or multi-streaming again, but it's just I still don't think YouTube is the savior everyone wants it to be. Uh, and, and and we'll talk about Twitch. But first, uh, with the seventh story, let's talk about XQC. Um, this guy's a streamer. Uh, if you've if you watch streams, you I suspect you've at least heard of him. I've never been able to watch more than two minutes of this guy's streams. He is way too. I mean, he's like, I assume his audience is like 12. Like it's just, and it's nothing against him. This dude is just scattered and he's weird and he says weird stuff all the time. I mean, I think he's like older. I think I don't think he's that much younger than me. Um, he's just, he's not streaming for me. Let's just say that he <laughs> has been announced has been, uh, has accepted and is working now on a $100 million two year. And, you, and here, listen to this word, non-exclusive contract with the streaming platform kick. Let's talk about kick. So kick is, uh, this weird little streaming platform. Um, I wondered why in the last week or two, I've been seeing kick all over the place. Um, you know, when Twitch, which we'll talk about, and we talked about in the last uh, podcast was, you know, kind of stepping on rakes a little bit, which uh, since then, I think that they've actually alleviated, if not, you know, improved uh, their situation quite a bit. But during that time, you see, you kept seeing all these people talking about kick, 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 oh, kicks, kicks went in and, you know, Twitch's quicks uh, or kicks best advertiser or whatever. And so I remember diving into it a little bit. I, I have a kick account that I made a long time ago. Um, just because I wanted to lock up my name with anything I did with like D live and all the other ones who mixer and all the other ones who have tried to do this thing and then failed. But I haven't thought about kick in a year at least I, or since I made that account. And I noticed I was like, man, this is really weird because I'm seeing on Twitter and that for you tab, especially everyone talking about kick. 
And I was like, this is so odd. Like, I know that Twitch is like kind of screwing up right now, but this still feels weird. Like, why aren't people talking? Like, why? I wasn't seeing nearly as much chatter about like YouTube and people going to stream there and stuff. And then I found out why I was seeing so much stuff about Kick. It was probably because they were pushing a huge marketing campaign before this XQC announcement so that there was some name recognition. Because if they hadn't have gotten all that attention in the last week or two, uh, and then they, and then XQC announced this big deal. People would have been like, what? But at least a, f- you know, a decent number of people now know what kick is. So here's my issue with kick. Um, their, their main, I may have even talked about during the last stream or the last podcast. They're like preeminent, uh, creator, at least maybe until XQC was this, I think his name's like Auden Tate or, or it's something like that. And I think he's calmed down in recent months and years, but at one time he was known for just being like this complete toxic shit show of a human being. And, and he signed on, I assume with kick, I assume exclusively. And, um, and that's been his home. And there's been other controversies with kick. Like uh, earlier this year, a streamer who was using that a fairly large streamer uh, and YouTuber uh, stopped using it. it was like, Hey, like none of their views are real. Like, like that, that place is completely botted out their view bot and everything. And that's why you see people who are going from like Twitch and have like two people watching their streams. Uh, and then they go to kick and they have like 50 people, uh, but you still see any chat and you don't, you know, there's all these little weird things where it's like, we, like, it just doesn't make sense that how is this like, what I assume is the smallest, uh, streaming platform uh, that you, that you know of at least, you know, you know, how are they, why are all these people getting like thousands of concurrent viewers, but it doesn't seem like anyone's using this service. And, uh, you know, kick pushed back and said that that wasn't true. They weren't view bodying their own service. You know, you can make your own decisions. Uh, most recently, the only reason I knew about kick before the XQC thing was that I came upon a convert, uh, someone quote tweeted, uh, and, and I, and I came upon this really, really weird, uh, tweet thread where there's this streamer, uh, who was banned from Twitch because of hate speech, I believe allegedly. So he went to kick. And he got verified there, I assume very quickly. And his whole shtick is that he's a pastor and that he plays Fortnite and he claims this isn't what he's doing. But if you watch his videos, it's definitely what he's doing. And I I watched one of his streams for like eight seconds and turned it off. But he 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 preaches to everyone the word of God, of the Christian God. Um, but he really, really seems to focus in on young children and it seems like he gets real into it and all of his videos and clips and highlights are of when he's talking to children and when he's preaching to them and when he's speaking, um, you know, asking them about like kind of personal questions about their religion and stuff like that. Uh, and it's super weird. And, and while it, it, it may not, as far as we know, you know, maybe he isn't trying to do anything like inappropriate, like trying to meet up with these children or anything like that. I'm, I doubt he is. I'm sure that's not what it is. You know, basically trying to like seek out and like influence young kids is grooming. Like it's a, and, and, and that's a loaded word right now. And there's all kinds of weird crap going on in the world with people being stupid about that stuff. But in a very base way, this is something that like, if you watch any of this dude's videos, I'm not going to say what his name is. Honestly, I forgot. Um, it's creepy. It's weird. It's super weird. 
And then it gets even worse if you look at his social media. He's like hyper right wing, super, super, super like far right wing, uh, like borderline, I would say extremist, um, you know, like like Republican uh, or not even Republican, just like hyper right wing has all these like crazy ass retweets and quote tweets and stuff, along with these videos of him preaching to children on Fortnite, like and, and people call him out for it, like in every video. And it's uh, and it's really interesting because he's like super defensive about it. And there's like someone who's like, stop bothering these kids and, and, and like <laughs> and stuff. And he just says and capitals, no, <laughs> it's just like it's why it's weird. It's and, and, and so my issue with kick is, is like apparently this is pretty normal. There's a bunch of people on kick um, who are doing weird shit like this. Uh, who were banned from other platforms and are using kick and they aren't just using kick, but they're like partnered. They're like verified. They're like the, the, the partners, uh, that you have on Twitch for kick. And I saw like another thread where it was uh, a partnered streamer or a verified, whatever kick does went into this lady's stream and was just saying this like awful, like sexist, racist, awful stuff. And apparently this is like what they're known for and they've done it a bunch and it was so it's so weird because you can tell there's like such a weird hive mind thing going on with kick where in that thread um a kick like even like a kick representative responded hey we've we've taken care of the situation we're we're sorry that happened to you but it's like if this person's like a repeat offender if they're verified like they're partnered um you know like this this person shouldn't you know that's who represents this company and there are so many people in the comments of this being like oh wow kick so amazing for dealing with this so quickly uh if this was twitch this would have taken years to get taken care of and it's like well probably not right like it probably wouldn't have taken years in fact they have a bunch of automated stuff that probably would have caught it before it even got sent um but yeah, Kick's weird, man. Uh, and Kick has some weird, like I made a joke on Twitter about it. And it's like all of these people I see pushing Kick come off as like hyper, like crypto, like Musk fan, like, like, like they, it's all, it's like this kind of certain type of person. They all kind of look like me, you know, like everyone who's like, you see like pushing this really hard. It, it, it they fit a profile, right? And it's, unfortunately it's looks like me, <laughs> but, um, and What's really interesting is that recently, and, and I can't, I, I tried to look this up and I didn't, I, I saw some, it seems like there's some anecdotes that it seems like they, they're encoding on their streams or they're basically eliminating most people to 720p, um, which is pretty bad. Like that's not great. Uh, and like everyone, and I guess it maybe I think maybe they're verified people can go past it, but it seems like they've so so obviously, you know, like this stuff's expensive. Streaming's expensive. It's a very, very expensive thing to host videos, host any kind of content to stream stuff like the data requirements. Like it's crazy. And apparently they use Amazon servers, which is the same thing Twitch uses. Um, but it seems like maybe they can't pay for the good servers or, or the good level of service. Uh, and it seems like, and I guess I haven't delved too deep into it, but their app and their service is just missing like a bunch of basic stuff. Um, but they're able to spare a hundred million dollars for XQC and they do a 95, five split. That's their big thing. And we'll talk about the split with Twitch in a minute, but uh, like Twitch has a, for most people has a 50, 50 split in revenue. If someone gives you a $5 sub, you get half of it. Twitch gets half of it. Um, and there's ad revenue, there's all that stuff. 
but the big thing that Kick says, oh, we give 95.5. We only keep 5% of the revenue. But the thing is, is how much revenue is there? Because especially if they're bodying their views, then, you know, those, you know, say, yeah, sure. Someone has 100 people watching, quote unquote, their stream. But if there's only five real people doing it and only one of them, you know, donates money or does whatever kick has, I, I don't think they have bits or anything. I think they just have like subscriptions then. Well, yeah, sure. Cool. Yeah. Uh, if I have 10, if I have 40 subs on Twitch, I get a hundred bucks a month uh, or it breaks down to something like that. If, if I have, um, you know, if, if, if I have, you know, one or if I have three subs on, you know, kick, uh, then yeah, sure. The few, you know, the getting 95% of that is great, but it's 95% of nothing. And so it's just, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. And, and one of the guys who owns it is a crypto bro. He's a, he's a big crypto exchange uh, person. And there's a lot of people who think that they're literally using kick as a way to um, just basically, you know, push or fund or advertise their his crypto thing and that there's no desire to actually ever make kick profitable and the goal the the, the, the assumption is that it's probably just going to shut down eventually um and what's interesting about this xqc 100 million dollar deal is that if you remember with mixer um you know less than a year before it shut down they signed it was like shroud and a few other people to these gigantic contracts uh but then and it was like like really big contracts and they were for like two years i think and then mixer shut down less than a year later and they just paid those contracts out i mean it's microsoft like they you know that 100 million dollars is pennies to them but like that just seems like a, a bunch of people today were about kick were like man this seems familiar they're throwing a bunch of money at one creator who i'm sure is popular with a certain demographic but xqc being on kick not only won't make me want to go to kick and despite all of the other issues, you know, those on top, it actually makes me less likely to want to go to, to kick. I don't want, you know, if they, yeah, if he floods that the kick with a 50,000 new uh, viewers, that's cool. But, you know, I'm, I'm not going after that demographic after the nine to 12 year old demo, you know, that's not my goal. Uh, you know, my demo skews like my age or older. And so it, it's a weird thing. Um, I would find it. Oh, and the last bit, the non-exclusive part of it. So what that means is that, and I believe he does, the XQC can multi-stream. So he he doesn't uh, he doesn't have to only stream on Kick. Now I suspect he has to stream on Kick, um, but in theory he can multi-stream. Say he also streams on YouTube or Twitch or both, and, or Facebook. He can do all of them. And the thing is, is that most of his audience is not going to leave wherever they're currently watching him. So if he says he's on YouTube, I, I, don't, I don't even know where he is. I think he's on Twitch, actually. So if he multi streams on Twitch and kick, they're paying him a hundred million dollars to probably only get like five to ten percent of his audience. Like, that's crazy. There's a joke to be made there of of kick paying him to stream with other people. You know, there, there's a joke about a uh, uh, when consenting adults, sometimes couples will uh, one of the members of the couple will watch the other member get banged by a stranger. <laughs> and that's like what this seems like. It's so weird. And um, 
I don't know. It's just very interesting. Uh, it, it's it, 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 for me, though, the full circle of being like, man, why am I seeing so much crap about kick right now? Like, why? Are, and then, my God, if you say anything negative about kick on Twitter, you've got a bunch of weirdos coming your way. And I've, I've used I've been using that block button this week. Um, but yeah, it was it was really funny for me uh, to have this like, why in the world am I seeing kick all the time? Like, what what's this kick thing? And then when they did this announcement, I was like, so they put a few million dollars into an ad campaign recently to get kick trending before this happened. So people would know what it was. It's pretty clever. I don't think it's going to work. I bet kick doesn't exist a year from now, but we'll have to wait and see. The final streamer story and the final story of this podcast number eight is the Twitch Partner Plus program. So uh, Twitch has had a rough go at it. I believe I talked about some of their issues during the last podcast. Uh, but what, what they came out with, I believe it was today, is um, so they do a 50-50 split uh, with everyone, with affiliates, partners, everyone. And at one time, there were a small number of partnered streamers who, per their contract, had negotiated a more favorable split. And... Uh, that split was typically, I believe, 70-30. So you know, the streamer gets 70, Twitch gets 30, and, and everyone was hunky-dory. Well, at some point, they got rid of that because they didn't think it was necessary. And I and what was so interesting is uh, I believe it only affected like this like this percentage of a percentage of streamers. It was this really small number of people, but it's still a big deal. And those big names do drive your, your service quite a bit. You know, the XQC going to kick. You know, we're talking about kick, so you know, obviously it matters in some capacity. But uh, there's basically been calls for a long time now of 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 doing you know a better split for partners. So what they did is they came out with this partner plus program, and what it is is if you uh, can get, I believe it's maintained for a short time, 350 subscriptions on your channel, you will be um, for the next 12 months you'll be locked into this partner plus program where you get a 70 30 split. Um, now the 350 subs can't include gifted subs, which I think is interesting, but what and I know exactly what it is. It's so that uh, partners won't just, you know, like basically want, you know, pay one of their friends like, Hey, just, just gift me 350 subs so I can get this better split and, uh, and then I'll pay you back. And, and then, you know, in the long run, they pr probably make sense, you know, the, to spend a couple thousand bucks, uh, to be able to make more money over the year. Um, and then after that 12 months, you have to make sure you have 350 subs again to keep going. And so I've seen a few people push back on this and, and cause people at first didn't think that the, the gifted subs counted towards the 70, 30 split. And they do, um, they just don't count towards the 350. And this is like a good solution because the simple fact is, is that if you have over 350 subs, you're probably doing Twitch full time. And so that gives you an incentive to make quite a bit more, 20% more money off of your work but then it also you know I, I saw so many people being like well i'm an affiliate and this doesn't help me at all and what was so funny about it is it's like you aren't you aren't like making your livelihood as an affiliate on twitch like you know i stream casually i'm i'm happy if i have 10 to 20 subs in any given time and that little bit of money adds up over the months and, and i get a nice little you know cash influx to buy something cool i, I don't know um but like, and this is going to sound pretty crappy and maybe gatekeepy and you can yell at me if you want. It's fine. But like, if you're a partnered streamer and you have less than 350 subs, like you're probably not doing this full time, even then. 
Like you probably have other hustles. You're probably doing YouTube. You're probably doing other stuff. And I just, uh, I don't know. I saw some people trying to be negative about this. I think it's only a good thing. I think while Twitch has a tendency to step on rakes unnecessarily, they tend to make good one. They sometimes make improvements, which I think this is. And the simple fact is, is there is not another streaming platform that has, and they're still adding features. Like right now, if you don't want to use an external um, service for little pop-up alerts when you get a subscription and stuff, they just have that all baked into Twitch now. You don't have to use Streamlabs for that or whoever, or Stream Elements or, or whoever. You can just do it through their website now. Now, I haven't done it. I have, I've had my same setup for years now. I'm probably not going to change it, but you could. And like, there's all of these features that, you know, and, and they have whole sections on their homepage. Of, uh, it's really interesting. If you search for, say you search for um, Diablo 4 right now, the default search, at least for me, isn't just showing you the biggest streamer streaming it. It shows you a big streamer and then someone who's streaming to like 10 or 15 people and then a big streamer and it mixes it up. And yeah, like, well, that may not be the best discovery ever. It's better than YouTube. And I, I imagine it's better than kick. And so, um, I don't know. I, Twitch is one of those things that because it's associated with Amazon and Bezos and all that, it's like, it, it, like people just kick it when it's down and, you know, they, they can't do anything right. And even though they often do, uh, and they are the best streaming platform, it, I, I would find it hard to be convinced otherwise. And it's just like on the top. So everyone kicks at it. And what's so funny to me is seeing people be like, oh man, everyone needs to switch to YouTube. It's like YouTube's owned by Google. Like you cannot tell me with a straight face that you really think that Google is a more trustworthy or a significantly more, you know, you know, better, uh, you know, certain, you know, company to get your feet behind. And, and then this stupid kick website is like, you know, you know, backed up by like crypto bros and stuff. Like, it's like, this isn't still not a good situation. Like, um, so I don't know. It's interesting. The whole streaming world, you know, we've had a lot of talk in the last week and it is frustrating for me often to hear, uh, you'll hear like pundits and commentators be like, you know, Twitch is sure down right now. And it's like the Xbox thing, like Xbox released Redfall and it kind of sucked. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, is, is, is Xbox going to shut down? You know, like way overreacting, uh, despite the fact that Xbox is like this great platform that has lots of great games and infrastructure and, and all this stuff and things coming and stuff. Well, Twitch is kind of the same way. It's like, yeah, they have these blips where people like dunk on them, but people, you know, I wish we got the same chatter when they do like an update and we get like 15 features added to Twitch that we've been asking for when it comes to moderation and, and keeping people from getting like, um, you know, crappy, uh, you know, like, like, like hate raids and stuff like that. Like, you know, they, they've, they've done a lot with that. Like they even have like one really cool feature that I assume partners use more often is like shared block lists. So say you have a group of like five streamers that you're pretty close with. And you guys kind of get the same crowd coming in and being jerks and stuff. You can have like a shared block list on Twitch. Uh, you, you just basically approve it on both sides and their blocks are your blocks. And so someone who, you know, maybe you're streaming with someone and someone wants, you know, is blocked from that person's stream. They can't come to your stream and be like, hey, that person's an idiot because they're just blocked from your stream, too. It's just stuff like that, that it's just 
you know, the other platforms don't have that. And um, Twitch is just easy to use. So I'm not trying to be a complete show for them. I, I don't give a shit. Like, I, I don't make any money off this stuff. I, I, I stream casually at this point. But after trying to stream on YouTube, and I might try again. Uh, I'm never. I'm not going to try kick. That's insane. But like, like YouTube isn't a very good streaming platform. It's a great video viewing platform. I don't think it's a very good streaming platform. And uh, I think that Twitch does more good than bad. But the bad is the only thing it gets talked about. So. Oh, well. Okay, so we're wrapping up the stories here. We have listener questions. Uh, if you have your own question, be sure to use the Google form questionnaire. Ask in the Discord where you can also find the link to the questionnaire uh, in the YouTube comments. Or you can hit me up on Twitter at Bond Diesel or at the EchoCast. On the EchoCast uh, account, every week I post a link to the Google form as well. If you want to put in your suggestions or questions or feedback or whatever. So... Um, I basically had like a little bit of a backlog of questions from a few people. So I'm just going to hit all those up in this stream or in this podcast and, uh, and we'll do that. So, uh, the first uh, set of questions here is from YouTube's. Uh, the first question is looking at mass effect one and mass effect and drama, the shared features and systems, what would make the Goldilocks mass effect game example, which games inventory and loot management wasn't too fiddly or too streamlined, but just the right amount of balance. Um, yeah, so a few features like that. So between from Mass Effect 1, 2, Andromeda, all the games, the trilogy Andromeda, um, what would be like the, the best of all the big systems? So, hmm. Um, so like generally, so let's say combat. Um, and so an unpopular answer I would probably give is I actually think the combat of Andromeda sucks. Um, I, I think people find the jump jets fun and i think some of the skills are fun to use in andromeda they're they're pretty well designed in the way that you use them but the cover system sucks the movement feels disconnected the ai of both friendly and enemies is garbage uh it's way too like looter shootery where like all of the enemies feel like bullet sponges there's just not very much satisfaction the gunplay sucks shooting guns is terrible like I said before, the cover system is atrocious. Uh, there's still a lot not to like about that game. And the combat for me, I always push back when I see people be like, well, the combat in Andromeda is the best in the series. And it's not. Mass Effect 3 has the best combat. Now, it's very dated at this point. It's um, You could definitely see, like, knowing that the Mass Effect trilogy was on Unreal Engine 3, knowing that some of the early... Um, Gears of War games were on Unreal 3 and that the coalition who makes that game is very close with Epic who makes the Unreal Engine and it, it seems like at least in some capacity especially in uh, Mass Effect 2 and 3 they very much use that like stock combat system which is basically Gears of War and so if you play uh, Mass Effect 2 and 3 uh, especially 3 but 2 as well you get a lot of those like oh this feels like Gears um like the the way the cover works and gunplay and all that um which isn't a bad thing uh, but for combat i would have to say like an updated uh like mass effect 3 combat system my honest truth is i played gears 5 recently and it, it, the combat in that is better and i wouldn't be surprised if mass effect's combat is closer to that than it isn't um but man the division one and especially the division two its movement its cover system it's um the skill use system just the the gunplay is just mm, mm, so good 
and I would kill for the next Mass Effect to feel a lot like Division 2. I'm not expecting that. I'm expecting Gears. It'll probably feel like Gear 6 because there's a chance Gear 6 comes out before the next Mass Effect. Um, so to say, like, generally graphically, um, that's a tough one because I appreciate kind of the way that Mass Effect 1 kind of looks and some of the kind of old school uh, things that they were inspired by. Um, I think all four games actually have their own aesthetic, uh, you know, things that look good. I think Andromeda's armor, a lot of the human armor, it looks so cool. The like N7 armor, like the updated, like the, the not the classic, but um, like Alec Rider's N7 armor looks so cool. Um, the C8 armor, I think it's like the uh, Explorer armor or something, looks like really, really great. Even the initiative armor, like the Pathfinder armor looks great. Um, so like the aesthetic of the armor of Andromeda, but maybe the graphics of like a combination of one and three, I think two is kind of, it's just, I don't like the, it's, it's like yellow. I, that whole game just feels like, so like, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of it. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, the inventory loot system that you mentioned, um, gosh. One and Andromeda are too similar where there's just too much. There's too much stuff. Um, two, there's like not enough. You're like too limited. So I guess three. I, I wouldn't mind if they brought back the Mass Effect one or Andromeda. Like you could like pick up multiple of the same gun and like sell it and stuff like that. I didn't really care for in two and three. How you just kind of are stuck with what you have or in two or in three, I guess as well. Uh, that like you just you have to buy the gun and you just have it permanently or uh, I don't know like I, I understand like that was for simplicity's sake I'm sure uh, but I kind of like the um, a, a little bit of you know looting guns and stuff like that especially from like containers and, th and things like that I don't know if I necessarily need to pick up weapons from every enemy um, yeah that's a good question but that's where I'm going to end it because we have other stuff to say so another question from YouTube's was, um, uh, was thinking about the Mass Effect, uh, Mass Effect Four teasers, hinting at uh, three squad mates. Um, uh, at least in the concept stills, I don't know about the Liara teaser. The Liara teaser, the 2020 trailer, um, at the end of it, when Liara you know picks up the, the N7 armor and looks up and smiles, she looks away, and very briefly, uh, the, the ship and her squad mates in the background come into focus. And, or maybe they start in focus and then come I, one way or the other. And there's three of them and then her. So there's four. Um, every single teaser has shown four squad mates. So just something to think about. Um, that introduces some speculation on how, uh, you know, three squad mates could be handled during gameplay. And then we have a breakdown of some questions here. Do we assume it will just be another mess uh, where Mass Effect uh, Andromeda left off with limited player interaction? So this is the whole thing with Andromeda, how like you have almost zero control over your companions, um, that they basically do their own thing. I think you can target enemies, tell them to go places and retrieve them. And that's it. Um, I hope they don't do that again. Um, in some of the leaked Dragon Age Dreadwolf footage, um, we saw that same system, even though in Inquisition, you had a little bit more control to the point where you could take over your squad mates. Um, but it looks like in Dreadwolf, at least in the build that was leaked, they were going towards an Andromeda system. So if the last two games, uh, if the two games coming out before 
you know, the next Mass Effect have that system. I think you may assume that that's what they're going to go with. You could also argue that maybe they see the negatives of that system and they change to a more classic way of handling your squad mates. Now, if we have like a skill wheel again, uh, well, with four squad mates uh, instead of just three, that's going to be bigger and more complicated. So uh, maybe they will go with the more basic system that it seems most likely to me. I'm hoping they give us a little more control. Uh, the second part of the follow up here is um, will they try to uh, return to squad controls and interactions from the original trilogy instead? I guess I already kind of talked about that. Um, the knee-jerk commentary has said that Dragon Age Inquisition dealt with this, uh, with how you could control your squad mates. However, this is a very different game. How would that look as a third-person shooter? So, um, I've actually proposed the ability that maybe only in combat, if we do have a squad of four, um, that we would be able to take over our compatriots, our, our teammates, um, because I've seen so many people say that the hope we get to play is like, make the main the protagonist a um you know a different species than human i don't want that i think that um, mass effect is a human story told from a human perspective but it could be neat if you're able to take over your squad mates during combat if uh, if if you want to like when i played inquisition i rarely if ever took over the squad mates i just it felt more natural in my opinion to just play as your main character but who knows we'll have to wait and see and then the last follow up here is lastly, could they be doing something completely different? Could they draw inspiration from games with three squad mates like uh, AI, like uh, Ghost Recon Future Soldier or Star Wars Republic Commando? And they went on to say that, you know, these are obviously old games, but they could still be relevant. I mean, maybe the issue with um, really both of those is both of those games were very linear. So like Future Soldier had this really fun system with your squad mates of like, being able to do like the sync shot that's where that came from or at least partially where it came from where um you know you and your three squad mates would get like my cover in this kind of like shooting gallery you know that was the level and you could all mark your own targets these like four targets you take them all down once and you could do it where like you could like do it stealthy and get through like a whole level sync shotting everyone and taking people out where no one ever notices anyone got shot. So you could wipe the whole level without anyone ever being alerted. Um, I don't expect that. <laughs> uh, and, and then I believe that Republic Commando had kind of like each trooper had their own like strength and weakness and you had to kind of coordinate everything. Um, I don't expect that as cool as that would be even if the next mass effect is like semi open world, like I'm expecting, I think it's going to be, I think it's gonna be semi, I don't think it's going to be like a straight up completely open world game. Um, even as much as Andromeda, um, I suspect it would just be too much. So we'll see. And then the final question from YouTube's is what major piece of mass effect would, uh, that you wouldn't miss if it wasn't part of the next one. And then they, they noted this was from a Reddit thread in the last day or two that I did respond to already. Uh, so my kind of trolling response uh, was that I would be okay to not see controller synthesis in the next game. So uh, you know, I'm curious to how that got received. But um, things that I don't want to see again, I would like to not see some of like the problematic stuff, which I don't think is going to be an issue. Like 
Um, I, I don't want everyone to have a daddy issue this time. Uh, that would be super cool if not every single squad mate had daddy issues. Um, I would not like to see these like very canned romances where you follow this like strict, you know, it goes down this exact same path every time. I would like a little more dynamic relationships, I guess. Um, I would not like to see uh, good storylines cheapened, uh, you know, depending on where they set the next game and stuff. The, I will always be annoyed about how in Mass Effect 1 and 2, the Geth Quarian issue was kind of gray and neither and they both kind of seemed like they weren't handling the situation well. Uh, and then in 3, there was just like heel turn where, okay, oh, the Quarians are bad, Geth are good, uh, or at least we're led to believe that. And um, I don't want that. I, I like, I think gray, what, what's cool about, and what I think there's a lot of poten potential about in the next Mass Effect is I think it could be like a borderline like political thriller. And I think uh, a lot of gray in the next game could be interesting. You know, say the next game uh, involves us being a specter uh, for the council or being a Alliance N7, whether we're Shepherd or not. Um, and we in in the in the alliance or the, the 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 citadel council says there is a group out in this system uh trying to make a new relay and go to you know unexplored places or uh there's there's a group out there trying to take control of these systems and you know the citadel council can't allow that or the alliance can't allow that and then we get out and we deal with this group that's doing this thing that the, the people we're loyal to are are mad about but then they are convincing. Maybe it's a group that's saying, hey, the Citadel has never taken care of the Terminus system. So we're, we're trying to take care of them. We're trying to bring them into the fold. Uh, and then you have this like gray situation where like, well, is the Citadel actually worried or are they having their power challenged? Are these, is this new group actually good? Or are they, you know, nefarious in some capacity? And maybe you don't know for a while. And like that gray, I want that. Uh, I don't want any more heel turns to tell us what's good and bad. I want the opportunity to get that. So there's my answer. Probably not the best, but thank you for asking. Master Prime had three questions from last week. Uh, the first one being, uh, knowing that Mass Effect uses cover shooter mechanics, would you like to see Mass Effect 4 take notes from the Division? As I said before, yeah, yeah. A thousand percent, uh, I think the Division um, has the best cover system in games. I think that uh, its movement is really good, especially once you get used to it. Uh, and I think its gunplay is great. Yeah, I, I would absolutely kill for uh, the next Mass Effect to feel like the Division, even the way the skills are used. Obviously, in the Division, it's more based in like, you know, reality and, and what we know now. But you could just just the, the as tight as they feel would be really nice in Mass Effect. Second question from Master Prime. What, uh, what makes a game go from mature to serious and just silly and edgy teenage, teenager vibes? Um, and so, you know, this is, I assume, in some kind of reference to Mass Effect Andromeda compared to the trilogy. It just, I think it depends on, like, an issue with Andromeda wasn't that it tried to be, like, the CW uh, show instead of, you know, the trilogy was Jack Bauer in space, right? I think the issue with Andromeda was that it, it was just, it was only silly. It was only sarcastic and it was so inundated with that that there was no balance so when there were serious moments you know like like, like a character dies and honestly i'm just sitting there waiting for someone to crack a joke and so it, it makes like any serious actually serious situations in the game feel kind of cheapened because you're always waiting for the next wisecrack and especially when they aren't like that funny 
it just it's like extra cringe so um i think you know like a game like fable even a game like guardians of the galaxy like there's games that are silly uh immortals phoenix rising was really controversial some people love the humor some people didn't you just i think the dashes of humor and and and, and lightheartedness can really help a game especially a game that is heavy and dark uh but it can't be too much that's my take and then finally if john cena or the rock are cast uh, as the what if they are cast as commander shepherd well if it's john cena that would suck because we couldn't see him and if in the rock like God, he's a terrible actor i i hope it would be cool if they do a if they do a, a mass effect show that the the f shep or m shep is someone we've never heard of uh, but it's just a great up-and-coming actor um, yes, I would love Henry Cavill to play as Commander Shepard or something, just because I have a man crush on him. But uh, I, I kind of hope that maybe they don't uh, go down that. Uh, I really hope that if there's a show that just Commander Shepard isn't in it, that it tells stories either you know outside of Shepard's during the trilogy or before the trilogy, maybe after, maybe as a lead up to the next game. I don't know. So there's my answer. The last question is from Sane Dave, and it says, if, uh, if, it, uh, if it fits the episode, um, share one or two sent sentences uh, of opinion about the new Spider-Verse game uh, or the Spider-Verse movie and how video game writing could take some notes. So um, I have watched some spoiler cast about the next about the new um, Spider-Verse movie uh, with Miles Morales and Gwen and, and all of that, um, but I haven't seen it yet. But from what I gather, it's just great. Um, I, uh, you know, spoilers for the next 10 seconds. Uh, it's, I know it ends on like a cliffhanger and that there's like a part two to the movie, but, um, what I think, honestly, it's what I was saying about the silly edgy stuff, like the Andromeda trilogy stuff before with mass effect is that the, the, the mold, the, the spider verse movies, uh, or the first one, especially, and, and I, it sounds like the second one did a really good job of, they were serious you know kind of dark you know the first one had moments that were very dark and very real and, and hurtful and things like that and um what i think is interesting about that is that we um it, it balanced well there was a lot of humor you know miles was a young man in the first movie and he was silly uh and, but then he grew and, and we saw that happen and that's another big thing is seeing growth seeing um you know a character maybe a character is like super silly at the beginning but by the end they've they've learned they've grown they've you know matured um and so you know i definitely think that could be uh, learned a lot by video game writing teams um and something else uh, there is a uh, of course i'm gonna forget it when i need it but there was a um was it in exile uh during the xbox show uh has a game that looks like it's using a similar animation style as the spider-verse movies where it's like kind of like the the weird frame rate animated and it looked super cool so maybe they have learned at least in visuals to do something cool like that and that's all the questions that's everything i have for this week if you have your own like i said before jump into the discord ask there find the google form in the discord or on uh, the at the echocast twitter page if you want to ask questions if you submit stories topics or even give feedback for next week um thank you so much for listening 
I uh, really enjoy doing this podcast. I, I, I love uh, talking about this stuff. Uh, it, you know, it's a very important and a solo podcast to get feedback. So in the YouTube comments, in the Discord, all the places, uh, please consider, uh, you know, leaving some thoughts or, you know, having a conversation about the episode there. Um, please consider uh, checking out patreon.com slash bond diesel. If you want to support my content that way, I am all over the internet as bond diesel on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and on Twitch. And uh, that's all I have. So until next time. I'm going to go to the hospital.